Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. You're listening to the Globig International Expansion Podcast. Hello, I'm Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is about employee wanderlust. You know, this strong, innate desire to rove or travel around the world and then still work for your company. Sounds great. I know we all want to do it, but are there things to consider? Absolutely. Our guest today is Mary Lemons. Mary's the Vice President of Human Resource Solutions at Global Upside. And Global Upside is a leader in helping companies transform their finance, accounting, and human resource function in over 90 countries. Mary, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about your own background, and then we'll chat some more about specifically what Global Upside is doing. Sure. Well, I came to the Bay Area um, when I came out of college with a degree in human resource development, and I went to work for, I didn't know what this acronym meant at that time, but IPO, pre-IPO company. And so um, I've been in Silicon Valley. I started my career here and worked for um, a handful of pre-IPO to more mature companies in the Valley for the last 25 plus years, primarily in the high-tech industry. So names you'd probably recognize, manufacturing, software, hardware companies. Um, and I was the head of HR, started, started the HR departments and for rapidly growing companies and downsizing also, as well as international expansion. Mm, fantastic. And, and I've then- been with yeah, and then I've been with Global Upside. I came here um, because of my corporate um, uh, relationship with Raghu Bhargava, the CEO um, and founder of Global Upside. And um, so now I work with multiple and uh, many clients from many different sectors and industry um, for primarily global expansion work. We do all sorts of HR work, but we, we do quite a bit in the global expansion area. You know, when we reached out to talk to each other, you had suggested the topic we're going to talk about today. And it's amazing because our company is it has several folks here that are just going through this right now. I've had, I have two young people who are thinking about transferring or moving or roving around the world, but yet still continuing to work for Globig. And I keep thinking, all right, that sounds like a great thing to do. I am actually jealous and would love to do it myself, but I don't really know what the implications are for the company. And so you've been so gracious and have defined a number of these you know, real life examples and, and how we're going to go about doing that. So let's jump in. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do organize, okay. organizations handle these international assignments? And are they even assignments? Is it not okay for someone right. to just pick up and take off and continue to work for us? Right. Well, that's a really great question for starting with um, is really, are they assignments? And so, you know, this topic has come um, kind of the forefront because in the last six months, I've had so many different clients present me with a, a variety of scenarios around this topic of an employee wants to to pick up and leave. And it and it any anywhere from I have an employee that um, you know wants to live in the UK for three to six months, and um, you know the job doesn't dictate it because they're telecommuters, but can they work out of our office there? Can they do that? 
to um, one that I'm working on right now is we have a client who the um, head of international sales wants to take his family to Germany for the international experience. He has young children um, and he thinks this is the time to do it. And he'd like to live there for 12 months. And the company, of course, wants to make him happy and retain him in this position. Um, but there's not a need for him to live in Germany. He doesn't need to do his job from Germany. And so we're really, um, I guess they're really struggling right now is how do we do this when it's something that we, we don't require and we really don't want to be out any additional funds to accommodate this. Um, you know, can he just go there? And so there are a couple areas really, um, and you know, they're, they're, the way they're positioning is this is not an assignment that we are asking him to do. Um, so that idea of whether or not the employee wants to do it or the employer wants to send the employee an assignment is a really good question um, because at the end of the day, the employer still has a responsibility for managing and directing and employing that employee. And so what happens if they go over, take the assignment and you know, something works out where they need to downsize or the employee's not working out and they may need to terminate performance. How do you do that from abroad? Um, how do you get them to come back? What if they go over to Germany and they love it and they don't want to come back? How do you deal with that as an employer? So I think one thing that's really important is that whether or not it's at the employee's request or the company's request is that you remember that you still have a relationship there as the employer. Um, that you don't want to, um, you know, just give away that. And you also have a, um, a responsibility as an employer um, to make sure that you don't run afoul of any tax or immigration law laws. That's the really the main things that come into play on these type of assignments. So if they're not an official assignment, do they still then um, have to follow the same sort of compliance is just as if it were an actual assignment does that mean your company then is doing business in that country or you know what are some of those implications well you know those are all and you know some of the um i think the legal people out there would say that you know the the law hasn't quite caught up with technology you know where we can work from afar and <clears throat> that there's a little bit of a misconception that you know sometimes you say well, you know, the employee can go over, enter on a business visa and wink, wink, nod, nod, you know, they're there for less than six months. You don't have to really worry about it. Um, but in some cases, it's not necessarily the length of time that they're going to be there, but it's also what they're doing there and whether or not that country would consider that they are performing work and doing work in country. So these situations get pretty complex really really quickly and each scenario kind of has its own um, particulars to it you know whether they stay three months six months or a year and where they're going to be working at but um, each country also has its own level of complexity around how they view these assignments as well um, and you know they're looking for what tax dollars you know that might be responsible for this employee coming over, working in country, um, what type of work they're doing. One thing for a company to be aware of is whether or not this relationship would create a permanent establishment type of risk. 
Uh, that's what the lawyers are usually looking at is what will the employee be doing when they're in country? What, what type of some, work they're doing? What are some examples of the sorts of things that could, in fact, um, open that risk up? Is it just like selling or what if it was a developer that's sitting in an Airbnb for three months and doing... Right. Well, one thing would be probably entering into contracts in the name of the, you know, the country and where those contracts come from and what tax might be associated with them. Um, so it could be sales. The other is just productive work. What type of productive work um, is the employee doing in country um, also? Very interesting. Yeah, it's funny, those both of those are the exact same scenarios that we have. One person is interested in spending a certain amount of time in the UK, they have family there and they would like to continue working. And then the other one would like to bring their husband over into Germany. So yeah, I'm not quite sure, you know, they're not assignments. They aren't in the company. I mean, I think there's nothing against it from the company's perspective, but they're not specifically right. doing any work that's related to the country. It's an experience, yeah. I think. You know, and it seems, you know, the challenges and where I really side with my clients is, you know, the employee just wants to, yeah, they've got family or they want to go over and have this experience. And why does it have to be so complicated? But the employee, once they do enter the country, um, one is they have to, they're subject to the employment laws of, in this case, it would be Germany. So even though they're a U.S.-based employee and they're paid in U.S. dollars, um, they, they would be subject to German employment law. And so that's where it gets tricky. You have to start with, you know, making sure you have a contract that would support that employment relationship as much as companies want to say, we're not asking them to go there, but they will be technically employed in Germany, which would make them subject to the tax laws in Germany. So in Germany, a highly compensated employee has about a 42% tax rate. And so as the employee is still getting paid in U.S. dollars, would have to pay, you know, will pay their U.S. taxes here. The company has to um, perform a shadow payroll tax, um, which has a monthly cost to it. And it would be also paying taxes to the German government to cover things like pensions and health insurance and all of those things. Now, the employee in this case can take, will have to file a tax return in Germany and in the U.S., and then can take a foreign tax credit. But the challenge is when you have an employee that goes from one tax jurisdiction in one country to another, and even though you can take this tax credit, is that the tax rate in some countries is higher than other countries. Um, so that is one thing definitely to be aware of is it's just not quite so simple. Um, one example is I had a client who, um, the employee lived in San Francisco, and she had a boyfriend in Canada, and she spent about a year traveling in and out of the country. And at some point, she knew she was going to have problems getting back into Canada and explaining why she was spending, spending so much time there. And she was a pretty highly compensated um, employee. And so we um, processed a work permit for her so she could live and work in Canada. And we talked with the company about what the implications were for tax, performing the 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 shadow payroll and that Canada, when all is said and done, has about a 10% higher tax rate than the U.S. And so on her income of about $500,000, you know, this actually adds up. And they did not 
the company was not did not want to tax equalize her, which is basically making the the employee whole. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, she was very interested in not spending an extra fifty thousand dollars in her tax bill as well. And so these are some things that really need to be figured out, even if the company wants to accommodate and have a more passive stance, is if you don't address these with the employee and they have a $50,000 tax bill that they're not expecting, you know, how, how do you deal with that upfront so that you don't have disengagement later? Absolutely. And um, in this case, you know, the employee, the employer did not want to address the payroll, the, the shadow payroll and the tax issue. And, um, you know, eventually the taxing authorities and the immigration authorities were, they were no, this was a while after they were a client of ours. They got bought by another much larger company, but um, we were helping them prepare the uh, documentation to show the work permits. Um, so some of these issues did come back. Eventually, um, you know, these things can be found because the taxing authorities, you know, can pretty much find all individuals and companies. It may take uh, a year or so, but um, I don't know how that one turned out. I'd be interested to to know. So we, you know, I work with in talking with our clients about, well, even though you want to have a more passive stance is the fact that you have to address, you have to be aware of these tax issues um, and the implications. And in some countries, you can opt out of the pension requirements. And so there's a tax savings there. But usually it requires getting some kind of a certificate by tax authorities here prepared so that you could submit them to that local jurisdiction to opt out of some taxes, but you can't opt out of all the taxes. Right. So, so we've got tax issues to worry, concern about. We have certainly visa, you had mentioned the ability to go in and out and and how that looks and the sorts of things that you're doing. I I was thinking, what about, you know, if someone gets sick or any sort of health insurance or those other areas you think about? Yeah. So, you know, on the, um, so the one I'm working on right now um, for the employee who wants to go to Germany is, um, and with children as well, is what happens if they get sick. So, you know, the German healthcare system is a pretty good healthcare system, but, um, you know, things I worry about a little bit more is, is what if something major medical happened and the, and the employee or the, the, the spouse and children would want to be evacuated to their home country. And so it's important to think about what is the local insurance. Typically, your U.S. insurance plan. I mean, you might think that you're okay. I'll just be out of out of network, um, but that starts to get really expensive, and a, your U.S. health plan really doesn't cover you in another country very well, effectively. And then the other is whether or not you need some kind of a medical benefits abroad or travel medical benefits as well. Um, you know, maybe you're traveling around and touring a little bit. And what happens if you're, you get sick and you're outside of Germany? Do you need something else to, to support you? So those are things that you definitely want to make sure that you have coverage. And really, it only comes up and becomes an issue when something happens. And unfortunately, things do happen where people get in accidents or they get sick. Um, and then when you don't have the coverage in place, it's not a great situation. I, I was, had a client who, um, didn't have coverage for it was a domestic partner who came over and did not have a travel medical policy and the company felt obligated to to cover um, you know about forty thousand dollars in medical care expenses that they incurred coming to the U.S. and not having a plan here. So these are definitely things to talk about. 
Absolutely. They add up, don't they? Um, what mm-hmm. What do you usually recommend if it's a short term? Is it just a, some sort of a travel insurance and then long term? Do they go on the country's insurance or is that never even an option? Yeah, uh, it, no, it would be an option to go on, um, you know, if you're paying into, if you're in a country that has uh, statutory health insurance um, benefits, UK, Germany, there's a lot of um, countries. But in those countries, usually those employees have, um, like in the UK, is a great example is that you have a national insurance program, but most employers provide a supplemental program um, that, that rides on top of that statutory program because the wait times to get in for doctors and hospitals is, is so long. If you don't have the additional private insurance, what can be um, you know, fairly inexpensive. The other challenge is um, if you've only got one employee in country, sometimes you can't get this type of group coverage or individual coverage. And it really varies from country to country as far as what's available. So whether or not you can provide it as an employer or the employee can go get individual coverage. But there's other... Um, uh, travel to go policies or medical travel to go policies or medical benefits abroad. Um, sometimes there might be a comprehensive uh, corporate policy that could come into play that might be able to supplement. But usually those are meant for more short term assignments versus somebody living in country and with dependents as well. Right. That makes sense. Um, one of the things I had mentioned that one of the folks here is interested in, in working out of the UK, but we don't have a business entity in that country. Um, so yeah. it wouldn't be like them being able to work from an office or, you know, anything like that. What are some yeah. of the risks around not having an entity? So you can not have a legal entity in many countries and you can send an employee over there, but you still have some startup costs in order to, um, uh, register in country. So, you know, in order to, to show up, you've got to have a work permit and that work permit is usually supported by some type of employment documentation. And then um, that will allow the corporate headquarters to be able to run this shadow payroll. Um, so there's just some uh, cost associated with, you know, just having an employee in country um, so that you can establish payroll there. Very interesting. What are, um, tell us some other stories. What are some other situations that you've come into? Because I find these absolutely fascinating. Yeah. So um, let's see. You know, another one that we see a little bit is where we have a an employee who's married to, um, in this case, we had an employee in, a client employee in San Francisco, and he was married to a Thai national and wanted to go live in Thailand for a couple of years. And they didn't like the idea of, you know, formalizing it. Let's just pick him up and let him go there. You know, he's, he's married to a local. So some things to think about, you know, as a company is, well, one, your wages, San Francisco wages are going to go very far in Thailand. So, you know, he might not be encouraged to come back as a result of that. And what if he doesn't come back on it also? Um, and for the length of time, I think sometimes, you know, when you're, people going over and it's not like you're going on a vacation, you're actually going over and you're living in this country um, is that, and then you have the length of time with it is those are things that to be aware of from just a tax standpoint. Um, Absolutely. Also. One, one of the things I know is, is that countries, it's much more challenging to 
um, terminate an employee because they don't have at-will employment? What happens if the employee no longer does do a great job? Do they then qualify for some of the other, you know, regulations in that country? And and can that make it really challenging? I think so. I mean, I've definitely been on the corporate side where you have an employee that sues you in both jurisdictions, you know, and hopes for. So the worst case scenario is the employee that goes to Germany and you terminate him and he's still there and you recall him to come back to the U.S. is that he'll see you in Germany and he'll see you in the U.S. as well and potentially be able to, you know, do well on both claims. Um, So usually you get to a point where you're kind of negotiating at that point. Um, but this is where the specifications with, um, even if you don't want to pay for the employee to go over, what happens if you do ask for them to come back to the home country? Are you obligated to buy them a plane ticket back? Whereas like in the U.S., if you're here on an H-1B or a TN visa, um, usually if the employer terminates you, they have some obligations to send you back to your home country. Um, so those are things that should be specified in some type of an employment document on how that would be handled and who's the responsibility it would be. So is that the really the primary way of, of, of protecting both sides is really to have a very specific employment agreement? And then are those employment agreements even legal in every country? Yeah, so some, you know, when, an, when a company um, sends an employee from, you know, one location to another, it's often handled by what's called a secondment letter or an international assignment letter. And so if you have a legal entity, I've got one in the U.S. and I'm sending this U.S. employee to the U.K., it would be transferring the employee for a period of time from this company to the other company. And then it specifies what happens when the assignment is over and really who is the um, who is the legal entity that kind of employ that owns this employee. For the most part, but there's always there's always risk there. Um, I was with a, a high tech company that had moved people all over the world and never really tran- uh, terminated. You could if you em- had an employee in France and you wanted to move them to the U.S. for indefinite period of time, and then we moved them to the Canada, but we never actually terminated the French employment agreement, the U.S. employment agreement, or the Canada agreement. You know which would be. Uh, the employing entity that he would have rights in, or could possibly be all of those locations, because um, you haven't terminated those em- previous employment agreement. Um, those are more for permanent transfers versus um, employees that just go for a period of time. It would really just be documenting it in some type of a transfer document and addressing what employment laws he would be subject to in the new host country. Very interesting. Yeah, you had mentioned um, that there are quite a few different things that go into an assignment letter. Is there, um, we probably should kind of walk through the the different things to consider. Yeah. Um, Yeah, there's some of the things you'd want to talk about is in in an assignment letter is, first off, what what is the job that you're asking them to do there? And then the duration of this assignment. Um, so this brings us back to that question of is this an assignment or not, you know, if the employee is requesting, but um, really it is how long they're going to be there and, you know, whether or not you're going to continue to pay them in their current current wages and their local bank account 
or are you going to pay them? You could pay them some in the, the U.S. bank account. You could pay them some in the host country. And um, whether or not you're how you're going to address the tax issues, um, if you're going to equalize them, which would be saying, you know, generally companies will do that sometimes. Um, if we're asking you to go to another country, is it really shouldn't cost the employee more money to take that assignment on behalf of the employer? Um, and that's where they do tax equalization. And this is where expatriate agreements and transfer agreements get very expensive because of the tax issue of tax equal equalizing. The other is how to address issues such as housing and other Acosta living um, arrangements. So those are usually specified in agreement, whether or not you're going to cover the fact that it costs more money to, to live and eat in, in a particular location. Um, it almost seems that your best, it's almost always going to become some sort of an assignment, even if it wasn't a company assignment, right? Just because you're going right. to need to document that, in fact, this isn't specific to the company and we are not going to be tax equalizing, you know, like whatever those things are, yeah. but ultimately it somewhat becomes an official document in order to protect both sides. Is that correct? Right. Well, you know, and I think HR people, we see the full life cycle of employment. So we see the honeymoon phase and we see the um, the breakup <laughs> phase. And I always say it's, you know, it's easy to get married and it's hard to um, it's hard to break up. And which is, um, you know, usually your HR and your legal people, you know, because we see this this full cycle of employment is we want to make sure that we can enter and exit the relationship and it's clear to everybody involved. Um, and so we really recommend and we find it best that you're explicit so that it's very clear because, you know, management does come and go. Senior management and the manager of the employee may change and memories are short. And so if you have a document that spells it out, then it just makes it's better for everybody involved. And I think the employee feels um, feels more comforted by knowing exactly how they're going to be handled, you know, regardless of what changes happen in the corporate environment as well. That's true, because things can change really, really quickly. Initiatives change really quickly, right? Yep. Absolutely. If people want to learn more about this, I think this is such a you know, it, it starts as being this really exciting, fun, wonderful, like, yes, of course we can do it. And then it becomes yeah. a, oh, right here, are the realities of this. And, and what do I need to know? How can they get more information? What would you recommend? Um, well, for one, call Global Upside, because, you know, this is the kind of work we do on helping companies with expansion or somebody that's a provider that has, you know, really, there are multiple players in this. Um, there's the legal and there's the tax piece, there's the immigration piece, and then there's the part of, you know, running the business and your books, doing tax returns and filings and you know, income statements and all of that that goes with running a business. Um, so it's having an awareness of these complications and getting educated. Um, the, the most important thing I see is educating our clients that have to go now present these scenarios to their CEO or CFO as to what they can and can't do for an employee and, and raising um, the, the, the risk. And business is all about risk mitigation and what you feel comfortable with. And, you know, I always tell my clients that, you know, we don't want to, we want to give you all the information that you have, 
um, so that you know what your risks are. And then at the end of the day, you run your business the way you see fit. But there's two authorities that I think you should probably never want to mess with and be on the wrong side with, and that is immigration and tax. Um, because from a business standpoint and a personal liability standpoint is that people can go to jail for <laughs> violating you know, either of those areas, and especially across borders where you don't know what the requirements are. It's really important to be educated and to know your risk and to know what you can and can't do. Um, I think the safest of all the, the different issues I've had that have come up, I had one client that said, you know, we have an employee and um, they are traveling the world, working out of internet cafes, and we don't know where they are. <laughs> and so, you know, maybe of amongst all the scenarios, you know, that is probably the easiest one is because you don't have this information you don't know. Um, but there's very few um, situations that really are employees that fall into that kind of category. Right. I was just thinking about the complexity of that. And again, one side of me says that sounds great. I would really like to be doing yeah. that. And I can see why someone else would be. And then the other side is, oh, yes, that's uh, that would be my nightmare. Yeah. And I wouldn't know what right. to do. Right. Yeah. You know, and we have one, you know, one other example. And this is... Um, is relating to a client that, um, you know, they want to hire somebody that uh, lives in um, lives in Malaysia. They're married to a Malaysian citizen, but they don't want to pay taxes in Malaysia. And they're actually a Singaporean citizen. And there's tax treaties between certain countries. Um, but how does the employer hire somebody in Malaysia where they don't have a legal entity there? I mean, you got a legal entity someplace else in the area. You know, it's really important to make sure that these scenarios might be completely clear and they can hire him, but that you're not um, circumventing people paying taxes, you know, wherever, wherever it is that they need to report their taxes. And so, you know, a lot of these scenarios, you know, might be under the guise of avoiding income taxes wherever you live in the world. So, you know, it's understanding those, um, those issues as well. Well, you know, one of the things that brought to mind that story is, is the, you know, I think a lot of companies would consider, well, let's just make them a contractor, but that also opens up a lot of challenges, doesn't it? Because that's where companies get yep. into a lot of trouble is thinking that they can treat a contractor like an employee. Yep. And it's the same kind of requirements or issues that we have in the U.S. on the misclassification of employees versus 1099 contractors. Same thing in other countries is that you... Hiring them as contractors is um, is one way to go, but you'd also want to have some kind of a consulting or contractor agreement. You'd want to be protecting your intellectual property. You'd want to make sure that they had some kind of business license or they had things in place also um, where they could show that they had, you know, usually it's a business that you're paying versus an individual. Um, you know, another option, and it's uh, another area that Global Upside does is just um, – PEO type of organization where you're professional employer organization where you want to uh, establish in country, but you don't want to set up a legal entity is that kind of like a trinet in the U.S. is how I describe it is that you have this organization that it's like a leasing company for employees um, that can hire employees for you. And it's kind of a shared uh, employment relationship. And that's that's another way to go. So there are some avenues on hiring people um, or, you know, maybe you terminate your employee and hire them through one of these leasing companies internationally. 
and Global Upside provides that um, business as well. So really the key is, is just understanding your business, knowing what you don't know and working with an organization yeah. such as Global Upside that can navigate you through that. Is there yeah. anything I should ask yet that I haven't had a chance to ask you that you think our listeners should know around this um, this topic? Let's see if there's anything else. You know, we didn't talk um, too much about work permits and getting work permits in country. And, you know, if you're an EU citizen, you have some flexibility to live and work um, in different locations. Um, but if you're a U.S. citizen, you have to go through a more formal work permit. Just like we ask people, you know, coming into our country, you have to have some kind of sponsor sponsorship um, by the employer. Um, and so that's just something, again, country specific, and then you can help them yes. with the work assignment, the work permits as well. Yep. Are there short-term, long-term options typically? Yeah, there's a variety of them. And, you know, whether or not you have a spouse um, and dependents coming in also that would require some residency uh, permits and whether or not the spouse would want to work in country as well. Um, so it's working with, um, you know, migration experts, you know, in country and to figure out which is the right kind of work permit based on what the type of assignment it is and the type of position that the employee will be performing. Okay. That makes sense. All right. So we'll make sure that we have all of the global upside resources and any sort of um, yep. referrals to information that you have for our listeners. Mary, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today on the Globing International Expansion Podcast. So everyone join us next time for another fantastic podcast on going global faster, easier, more affordably, and more successfully. Don't forget to join globing.co for lots of free resources, training, and business expansion packages. This is Anka Corbin, hoping that you all go global and go big.